those. I gotta say, the coffee is nice here. Is it? This is this is like the gravity machine coffee. Yeah, I, I mean, I made that this morning, so it's been sitting around. But it's good beans. The beans are from Brooklyn Roasting Company. God, you you have together so much, man. Hmm? You just have your shit together. Uh, <laughs> thanks. This is something. No, no. This, I don't, this, this, this I don't is feel like I do. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is actually something that has fa- at least fascinated me about you. I don't know, maybe because I feel like I appear to have my that, shit together. That you no, that you, but you really appear to have your shit together, and at least, especially, there's some type of any other type of composer. There's some type of neuroses. Even though someone like Ted also, I think, is someone who has a shit together as far as like being active and doing a lot of stuff and working constantly and not like getting in a funk. He's yeah. st- I, I still feel like maybe I know the specific type of neuroses that he has. Well, Ted, yeah, Ted and I have talked about that. He wouldn't necessarily appear to you as a person who is very neurotic about his work. Maybe neurotic about other things, but... I just mean basically, but also... But, like, he, but he, he does have these... Uh, he does. He has a lot of hang-ups about like finding his place in in the the scene or the world of of new music. As you, a couple hours maybe. Five, five thirty. Yeah, give us till five. Yeah, we won't. We won't. See you later. We won't be longer than that. Okay. No, we we actually like um, console each other about these things. I yeah. I feel like there's something about the way Ted's neuroses and my neuroses that are complementary of each other. We're able to make each other feel better about things that we get nervous about, or which I feel like maybe another like pair of composers might kind of reinforce each other's. Um, you feel that I feel that too, type of thing. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just like you get too many like-minded composers together, and they're they're all like, I don't know. There there are these. There's this tendency, and I I definitely feel it though. Whenever I feel it, I I try and you know restrain it that that like as a musician you're you're kind of like on a battlefield and everyone is kind of like against everyone else and there there's like this faction over here this like splinter cell over here and you're talking like, about the world of new music not the yeah world just of like new, not new music and the world no no just not, within yeah. the world of new music and there are people who really see it that way and it's just like it's so uh, it's so po- it can be so poisonous when you really convince yourself of that. I think actually that's what I'm trying to talk about is that you seem to like especially in New York if you look at it through a certain prism it's very easy to get it's very easy to get poisoned by that. And I'm in well, and I mean I, in general just hating on people and being in general an un- an unhappy person. And mm. at least from where I'm standing I'm always like wow Timo's always pretty it's not not content, but it's just like uh, you're beyond that somehow. Well, that's good. I mean, I I that's kind of my goal is to kind of uh, when that stuff starts happening is just kind of to float above it, not let it affect what I'm doing too much. Because you know, I've I've always known what I wanted to do before I really even had any idea what it entailed. I mean, I've wanted to be a musician since I was you know, 11, 10, 11 years old. So like the fact that I find myself in this position and I'm making a living as a musician and pretty much doing exactly what I always wanted to do. The fact that, you know, there are people who are more successful than me or like people who are more famous than me, like I don't care, you know, like there are always going to be people who are more famous and more successful than you. 
it sounds stupid, but and and corny, but you just have to figure out what it is, what like what's your thing, like and do it the best you possibly can. What else are you gonna do? How would you describe your thing? I don't know. I I feel like what I, I bring to my pieces and also to the groups that I play with is a kind of um almost almost like an old fashionedness. I feel I feel like I'm I'm kind of an old fashioned musician in a lot of ways cuz like I I grew up as like a real hardcore classical kid cuz I was always I was studying piano uh very seriously and like classical music was pretty much where it was at for me like all through middle school high school and I was really entrenched in that canon like I'm and, and I'm still like really obsessed with it you mean you you mean just like standard chamber music and piano repertoire yeah yeah and I feel like actually that's something that in the new music scene certainly in New York is is actually kind of rare like I don't run into that many people who are passionate about both things about like both new music and like the canon do you think that manifests itself in style i think it manifests itself in yeah definitely in my work i mean a lot of my pieces have sort of ended up being about kind of dealing with this kind of inherited tradition of of what i do um which is like a pretty old-fashioned thing like being a composer pianist like that in itself is existed for hundreds of years and like it's not really too different what i do now than you know what i would have done 200 years ago were i to be a composer pianist you know i agree with that in a way but also how commissions work how i mean like the business is different so well i don't know how different it is like when people commission you they're commissioning you on on the strength of your previous work so that puts on the pressure to, you know, to continue on in roughly the same vein as your previous work. Because you're like, oh, these people, like, they, they want a piece like this other piece I wrote. Do you feel pressure to continue on in the same vein? Like you were said, when someone, when someone goes, you know, I love it takes a long time to become a good composer. I want you to write a piece for piano and chamber ensemble. Yeah. You have an, you have an idea... It's it's completely different from it, the previous piece. Do you feel pressured not to experiment? Is consistency important? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not something that I guess no. It's not it's not really something that's ever that I've ever really felt like stymied by in working. Like I'll never, you know, like start a piece and be like, oh no, this is like too different from my other pieces. I can't I can't write it like this. That's never happened to me, but. I feel like that is partially because I don't really like from piece to piece I don't swing very widely. There I mean there are composers who, who I know who each piece of theirs uh will sound totally different from the next one almost to the point of being totally unrecognizable. And I don't know whether it's just that those guys are maybe more in the in the process of of like finding something like finding out what works for them or I don't know. I I feel like at this point I've found kind of a set of tools almost like I've built up my toolbox to the point where, you know, I'm familiar with whatever is given to me, the instrumentation, the 
context, the duration, whatever sort of surface um, impositions there are for the piece. And I can say like, oh, I, I can use this tool that I've used before, but maybe I can use it in a slightly different way or like try to try to do something a little bit different with it and uh, combine it maybe with this other technique that I have also used before, but I haven't used them in combination and kind of put that together and see what happens. Do you feel uh, like there's a limit because you're using, because you said you have a toolbox, do you, do you feel now that, or do you ever feel in the future that's, that there's going to be just a limited number of permutations you can get from those tools? No, no. I mean, because I think I'm still, to continue the metaphor, I think I'm still adding stuff. To maybe, the toolbox. Yeah, maybe at a slower rate. Yeah. But I mean, certainly like... Or more careful rate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, exactly. okay, maybe I shouldn't put down the hammer and pick up a chainsaw. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I should Maybe I yeah, should just I just, add it's a chisel. More like, I know at this point, to the hammer. I know at this yeah. point, chainsaws are not for me. Yeah. yeah. It's not going <laughs> to not gonna be useful for me. So like, I'm going to admire that for what it is, but I don't need it. You can't possibly do the thing where you're like, I'm going to write this type of music. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And it's going to be like that from now onward. Like, why would you even... Like, yes, there's a certain consistency to that. But, like, why would you... Why would you even want that? Like, I think th- I think that's maybe where my question came up in the first place. Where I think there is a certain consistency to what you do. I think so and, too. I mean, um, I can see. And, and I can for see. Me, it. And for me, maybe that's why I feel like, oh, Tim was content. If you were not content in a way, then you would somehow feel a desperation to put down the hammer and pick up a chainsaw. Well, no, I don't. It's I I'm content with I'm content in the sense that I'm I'm not insecure about who I am as a musician. I li- I like who I am as a musician, but I'm not content in the sense that I feel like I could be much much better at what I do. I and I I, I mean I I think everyone should always feel that way. I mean I, you don't want to ever feel like you know there's nothing more to learn. Like I you don't want to get complacent. I, I think the, the insecurity that some composers feel is like it maybe has more to do with the social aspect of writing music than actually kind of um, looking inside themselves and feeling that they're doing something that, you know, worthwhile and satisfying to them and satisfying to other people. I mean, I think that's more what we were talking about at the beginning with insecurity. and yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel like you've found your you've you found your language and there's and there's no other? Do you feel like you could be surprised and say, "Oh, I need to use this or incorporate this in a big way that could ever cause a a seismic shift in what you're doing?" I would be surprised if it happened. I mean, no, I think I think I'm much more of a gradual. Um, I'll, I gradually integrate new things in, into my pieces rather than. Uh, I don't know, cause, cause like, if you're, nothing could ever happen that would be like a aha moment. This is how I better execute this thing that I have imagined in my head. I do, I do have those moments, but once again, it's like it's not something that I feel like involves like abandoning all my previous work or something. Like, I think I'm I'm confident enough in the, in the music that I'm writing that I think if 
there ever came a time where I said, no, sorry, like all that stuff was, that was like not the real Timo. Like from now on, like this is going to be the real Timo. Now it's gonna I'm just going to like throw this. snare drums against the wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, re- I withdraw all of my former <laughs> work. Like I, if you're the kind of artist who's who does that, like something tells me you're probably not, from the outset, you probably weren't being very genuine about it. And I feel like I'm being very genuine. Like I, like the stuff I put out, that's who I am. Like I'm not. Oh no! I mean, I, I don't know anybody who hasn't said that about that. Oh, this is not. Okay. The, 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 no, no one's like, man, that fucking Timo's full of shit. Man, fucking. <laughs> well, that's good. To Nobody hear. has that deep. But I mean, I mean, to be fair, like I, th- I feel like that's happened to me a number of times. And it's not like I wasn't being where you've like you've been like oh no then this is really what I want to do yeah and it, it you know and it was never a cynical move like I'm gonna be this guy and then I'm gonna be like no 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 I don't want to be that guy I want to be this guy you know it was more of a wandering or searching and confusion you right know? well I mean that's and, and there's it... a lot of you know and there's a lot of again getting back to the like why you appear to be content <laughs> to me because I was just not content with what I was doing and how I was doing it and the, and, and the social setting in which, which it was appearing. Mm-hmm. I feel like now that's starting to settle down a little bit. I always think about like John Adams. If you listen to John's pieces from like his early pieces, which are not even that early as far as composers go. I mean, the earliest stuff that he's got out there is like from his late twenties. He really jumps a lot from piece to piece. And he was like, his pieces from that time sound one very different from the next. And it was definitely like... A lot of them were intellectual exercises, right? A lot of them were kind yeah, of dodecophonic. He was kind of in that um, conceptual phase where, where he was trying out new ideas and he was in this social setting in the Bay Area in the 60s and 70s where... You know, there was a lot of experimentalism and, and there was a lot of bullshit, for want of a better word. And, uh, you know, I think at the heart of it was the fact that he was, uh, he's actually like a, a notes and rhythms, like big romantic symphonic composer. And that this uh, this kind of social pressure was maybe causing him to search harder than he might otherwise have, which is great. I mean, it and it took him a while, like, to write harmonium before he found that. But then when it finally happened, it was like, Oh my God, like you can hear this insane confidence that just like suddenly happened. And it's just like the most amazing thing. Yeah. It's, you know, but it's also like, just to speak to that social pressure, this is what is crazy about that is that social pressure is from a small group of uh, academics. Totally. And and once he realized that I'm just going to go with what I want to do, and ignore this type of social pressure. Then all of a sudden he realized that there was a even an even larger group of people that probably it had a much more positive effect than it was when he was worried about what that small group of academics were thinking about. And it's funny because normally social pressure goes in the opposite direction where it's right. almost a reverse social pressure. You feel the pressure to do what they want. But for some reason, like these small groups of academics, especially in the 60s, had such a almost monopoly on what they thought was acceptable, what and music unacceptable. was supposed to be, yeah, what music was in the twentieth century. That a huge population that's completely being ignored. And the common thing to say is 
nowadays the field is wide open and you have young composers who they feel like they can do anything they want but it's actually it's there still is that pressure it just is coming from many more different sources there's there's a lot of dissonance of uh messages and the problem is that i think you know especially in new york it's still a very insular scene yeah and, and, well i mean and, there and, is and, a, and for, because, there is a scene yeah, yeah, here for yeah, one thing yeah. like you can actually say that there is a scene yeah. which is i don't know how common that is maybe there's one in berlin i don't know but you know it's just so very it's like a big diverse fucking mess in berlin you know mm-hmm. it's a clusterfuck in a great way but anyway getting back to new york that new york i think is still still pretty insular who gets what what gets programmed is still goes around in the loop and gets traded off between the same i don't know maybe 30 40 people it's definitely true yeah <laughs> you see the same yeah. the same yeah. names cropping up time um, and time again and there are plenty of people who get programmed that I don't I can't understand why anyone would want to hear. It's not it's definitely not like a meritocracy. It's it's like Lincoln Center is they program a Dan Vesa piece and then like someone else is like, Oh, we gotta have a Dan Vesa piece too. Like we better commission Dan Vesa. Yeah, and yeah. It's like yeah. the other groups that... I mean, you know, that is definitely a hypothetical because it's gonna happen anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's yeah. it's very much like yeah. the yeah. the world of presenters and arts administrators and publicists and uh, management is equally insular to the new music world, and they all talk to each other. And I'm not even at least at least I'm familiar with the composer aspect of it, you know. But the, the uh, well, the, it's been the, interesting you know, the for me. Aspect of it is like, and I, I I'm completely clueless. I wouldn't even know who to start to talk to. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's a kind of a new thing, the composer publicist, because of course, before, if you were going places as a composer, you would sign with a publisher and more for more and more things. I feel like that is becoming a viable model. I mean, especially because like, I mean, I'm self-published and I'm pretty happy being self-published. I mean, I, I'm, I just signed this agreement with shot that they're going to distribute like a few of my pieces. Yeah, I heard about that. Um, but I'm, I'm retaining the copyright and I, I don't know. It'll be really interesting for me to see how that works out. Cause it's not like, like I got signed to a publisher and they, you know, they bought my whole catalog and they're going to get me lots of commissions and things like, it's not like that, but it is like, here's another avenue for people to discover my music and maybe make it easier to get it into performers' hands. You know, just have, have a little... It, it looks official to see your piece up on a, a publisher's yeah, website it's, you know, for it's sale. A very, it's, a very, it's, a very, it's a very old type of prestige. Rather than being yeah. like, have people emailing me and being like, hey, you can like PayPal me 20 bucks and I'll send it's, you It's, it's what I like to call good old-fashioned prestige. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like so, having, it's like having your, you know, and my dad hates it when I do this, but it's like <laughs> having your face in the newspaper for something you did. Like, that's good old-fashioned Yeah, it's like... He just hates it, like, calls it old-fashioned. Because <laughs> newspapers are dead and everything, but, yeah, like, yeah, it's but, still but cool it's like, to it's like get what a New he York does. Times review. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, like, I say this whenever I anybody, like, complains about, you know, some review they got. It's like, who reads those reviews? Yeah, you know? I, guess, like, who... I guess I guess your mom can't 
you know, put it up on the fridge. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm, she's going to have to use something else for that space. It's like you read it and your friends read it. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even really re- read reviews if they're not <laughs> like for a concert that one of my friends was in or that you know, I went to. Once every three months, I'm like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. And I'm like, I'll, it's like, like, I'll like click on it, you know? Even I'm so bored by that yeah, stuff yeah, that it's yeah, like, yeah. if I am like, who the hell reads that? You know, it's like, Having a good review is nice. You put the pull the quote and put it in your bio or yeah, put it on your website. Because, yeah, because and if you get a bad review, prestige, like old prestige. Yeah, you know? if you get a bad review, then nothing will happen at all. That's basically how I look at this publishing thing. Like, if three years go by and I'm not happy, then I don't have to renew it. But um, in the meantime, I I feel like there's not going to be any harm. I mean, it's been interesting for me to just kind of uh figuring out how things happen in the music world around here i mean you don't really have a good idea of that when you're in school i mean they don't really they try and like get you on the ground Aaron J. Kronis will make you go to a seminar yeah and a they, seminar with about Jim co- Kendrick yeah, yeah about copyright and he says and, a bunch of words and you yeah. don't know what they mean and you're so bored yeah you're you're and you're like oh none of this so could hopelessly, possibly yeah. none of this could possibly ever apply to me yeah. because I'm a lowly student and I'm never gonna like I'm never nothing's ever gonna happen yeah. and you but, get to um, school and you're like man I'm hungry <laughs> yeah. yeah you're like shit <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's just just like with the record company and raising money for things and trying to get the word out about concerts. It's all like there's a certain DIY aspect to being a young composer now, which I find very appealing, actually, because you can kind of control how you're represented to a pretty extreme degree, which has always appealed to me because I'm very uh, detail. You can start wearing a but... cape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, with a T on it, it always sounds shallow, and maybe it is, but like, those kind of appearance things factor into how you're perceived, and it's how your website looks and works, and how often you update it, and how your scores look, and whether they're easy to read and nice looking, and, uh, you know, what you wear to perform whether you look like a slob or whether you look like you put effort in like all those things really matter and it's something that i feel like younger composers and musicians are kind of coming to understand maybe more than past generations did the kind of more insular academic composers and one side of this is is that composers now have pr people which is interesting does your pr person is she like you need to buy some tweet jackets to them <laughs> no no that's all me <laughs> oh really okay no she uh emily but is she like i like the tweed yes really but she I, says I get, that she's like nice tweed yeah i get i get feedback i i do uh you know crowdsourcing uh studies before i release a new outfit no <laughs> um just the people in the room with like a dial, and they're they're behind a, a pane of one way glass. Yeah. And you can their reactions are filmed. Uh, it's like an episode of Mad Men. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't bother you that you have to do that. No, because as as I said, like I like to be in control of my environment. I I mean I think you see that reflected in in my house 
Uh, I walked in. I said everything's so meticulously done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the first thing I No, did. I mean, I think what Chris said to me is like, sometimes I confuse my living room for my art. I, I kind of get caught up in uh, the details of things to an extent that maybe I'm not focusing on like what I should be focusing on. But I, I don't know. It's it's just the type of person I am. I'm, I've always been like kind of a perfectionist, OCD, like organizer type of person and... Uh, I thrive on order and how long have you had this woman working for you officially about a year has she gotten stuff done for you yeah I mean uh so what she does Did she approach you she yeah I met her back when we were first uh I was first like talking with Nunsuch about Shine Mighty I got hooked up with Nunsuch through this guy Ronan Gavani I did, I sent him a CD out of the blue unsolicited i sent a bunch of them out like when i was uh maybe my first year of grad school i sent a bunch of them out i you know i didn't really have very many contacts but i'd heard about this guy ronan he put on this wordless music series of concerts in new york and i liked what he was doing with them i thought my music would fit well with the programming um so i was like oh Maybe he'd dig this and maybe he'll program me on a wordless music show. What I didn't know was that he his day job was at Nunsuch. It took him like a year to listen to my CD. So I heard I heard from him literally the next year being like, hey, I listened to your CD. I kind of like it. You want to play on a wordless music show? So we did that. Then I also did Shine Mighty in New York. And Ronan brought Bob Hurwitz to that show, who's head of Nunsuch. And so that's how I got hooked up with them. I mean, the thing about the new music world, which is nice, actually, is that it's very much built on personal relationships. You you come to really value your the people you work with, not only as fellow musicians and, you know, you pick them out because they're good musicians, but as friends and collaborators and I made a decision at a certain point, I think when I was in college, just to to like try and say yes to as many things as possible. Like if people asked me to do something, unless there was like a really, really good reason that I couldn't do it or something, like I would just say yes. And um, I think that's really the best thing you can do is just be open to whatever comes your way. And even if it might not initially seem like you know, a really exciting gig or a really great commission. Like the music world is so small. You meet up everywhere with people you've run into. And, you know, a lot of the relationships that for me that like formed in college and various like summer festivals and, you know, those are the things that ended up kind of blossoming into things that, you know, now allow me to make a living or some semblance of a living. I think some semblance of a which living. Which is... It's about where everybody, it's cool, where yeah. At. I'm always at the point where, like, I guess this is working. Right, I it's mean, like, oh... Um, I mean, as long as I don't get anybody pregnant, <laughs> yeah, this exactly. is gonna... This as is long gonna, as I don't... Yeah. As yeah. long as I don't have, like, a catastrophic bicycle accident, as long as I don't, like, fall Are you, off, are you not insured? Fall are you, off the insured? Manhattan Bridge. 
I actually do have health insurance, and it's like way too expensive. But I, I gotta say, the best thing about living in Berlin is that I'm in something called the Krankenheitssozialkasse, which is basically a co-op for artists. My health insurance is really good, everything I need, and I pay seventy-two euros a month for this. Well, for this well, health insurance. well. Yeah, isn't Europe great? I, I'm just saying is, and this is what it's, I've been yeah, saying. This is what I've been saying to everybody. And actually, I may need to edit this out because I think I've said it like three times <laughs> in, in each interview. But health insurance is so important. Yeah, it's on everybody's mind. Yeah, yeah. It's not just good political fodder, especially if you're an artist and you have to think about those crazy what ifs. Yeah, you know? I figured like when I started biking in New York, I was like, I guess I better have like major medical like yeah. I'm, I'm a safe biker but like but i mean that, that's what i'm saying if like if i was living in new york i wouldn't be able to have health insurance i wouldn't be able to afford health insurance i have the cheapest no i have the, like the second cheapest plan from freelancers union which is like you know they get a package deal from something or other yeah i think when i started out it was like 275 a month and now it's up to 325 or something that's like pretty bottom of the line like no prescriptions no nothing i mean you know the fucked up thing is that we were lucky enough to be dumb enough to not think about that when we were choosing what we were going to do do you, do you yeah, understand yeah yeah and then you kind so, of figure so, it out so, as so, you go so along the, yeah yeah so now so now we're happy in a certain way but if you're if you're a more sensible calculating college student you're gonna want to get out of college and be able to be at a place where you don't have to worry about that shit which means not becoming a freelance artist so it's yeah. just de-incentivizing people to do interesting things. Well, it's always going to be hard to be a freelance artist. I mean, it's always going to be going against the grain, and it always has been. And but it I should think, be. You know, it's okay, like not everyone should be an artist. Yeah, like, no, no, this, this, is, this is completely true, but I think there are a lot of people in Germany who never had those reservations. It's a little bit easier. It's more be, set up. Yeah, because, because they're like, oh, I'll go this, and yes, it'll be hard, and I won't earn a lot of money, and I'm not going to be able to have certain things, but I don't have to worry about getting into a bike accident and then being in debt for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That doesn't weigh on them like it does for you. I mean, I'm not saying you're consumed by it every day. You can't be cons- I mean, if there's so many things to worry about in the world, like if you worried about all of them every day, you would never be able to do anything. I mean, uh, I worry about someone climbing up the front of my house and coming in and stealing all my electronics, but it hasn't happened yet. Can they do that? I don't know. <laughs> if I release it and that's in there, it's going to give people the idea. <laughs> Well, just don't put my apartment number. Okay, so, you know, let's talk about it takes a long time to be a good composer. Oh, yeah. Well, this is a longish solo piano piece um, that I wrote a year ago. And it started with this group that I'm, that I'm involved in called Metropolis Ensemble, which is a kind of small orchestra slash presenting organization that it's run by this guy Andrew Sear and it's it's a young organization and he wanted me to do some kind of solo recital I guess and to write a new piece for it I'd kind of I've I'd kind kind of gotten been getting back into um playing like performing more standard rep stuff after a long time of not so I played like a Brahms piano quartet and uh 
I kind of got it into my head that I wanted to play Schumann Chrysleriana, which is one of his big cycles of shorter piano pieces. It's a piece that I'd worked on maybe in high school or early in college, but never really worked it up to the point where I would perform it. I decided to work up Chrysleriana and also write a companion suite to it. The thing that attracted me, the thing that I guess the thing that always attracted me to Chrysleriana kind of over the other famous Schumann cycles was the the form. And it's kind of interesting the way it's structured because at face value it is kind of a series of miniatures but it's actually like nesting dolls where like these miniatures can be grouped in slightly larger sets and then those can come together to form like a really amazing kind of overarching form over the 25 or 30 minutes and um I don't know. I feel like I, I always really was really attracted to Schumann's music and um, kind of always felt like he's unfairly represented today as a composer. Cause, you mean he's not played enough? Oh, no, he's played a lot. It's just that there's a great amount of attention on a very narrow spectrum of his output. Oh, I see. Okay, I see. What you you know, everyone plays Carnival. Everyone plays like you know, sets of Schumann miniatures. And a lot, a lot of people play Chrysleriana too. I mean, it's it's a, an incredibly popular piece. But then there's this whole section of his music that it's kind of like denigrated for some reasons. And people are always saying like, oh, Schumann's symphonies are, you know, they're muddy, they're unplayable, they're not as good as Brahms. They're, you know, formally they wander and same with his string quartets and and which leads people to say like oh Schumann was a miniaturist he didn't know how to make these sort of large uh symphonic statements that Brahms or Beethoven did i don't that always kind of bothered me because i really love a lot of his more large scale pieces and i think they're really i think they are problematic Pro- they're problematic for uh interpretation and for the musicians, because they can be very awkward. They certainly don't play themselves. I don't know. For some reason, they just haven't been, uh, they haven't really been taken up to the same degree as a lot of other contemporaries. I don't know. That kind of led me to look at the Chrysleriana in this new way of being like, oh, well, maybe Schumann was actually the innovator here. Maybe he was the one who was really being daring formally that this this was just kind of his way of making a large-scale statement in these kind of smaller blocks that could be put together in different ways so that's what the title refers to in addition to what it kind of appears to mean it kind of refers to this idea that like because schumann wrote these short pieces he'll, he'll never be as great as brahms it takes a long time it takes a large-scale form so the title kind of has a i mean obviously i meant it to be a kind of both d- ways. double yeah, entendre yeah, yeah, yeah. so that it's kind of about um schumann and, and how he's my guy
definitely have that sense of form that you were talking about that weird strange chunks of music are nested within other chunks right. of music. right no that's yeah. exactly what i was trying to do um was create were you also sort of, trying uh, to make it wander like the schumann pieces wander yeah well yeah. i think one thing that is great about those pieces and i think is a big factor in why they're so popular and why people love them is that he does kind of jam a lot into one piece. Well, like he's also, yeah, I mean, it's constantly grabbing your attention. It's incredibly you know? kaleidoscopic, and there are all sorts of really flamboyant, dramatic gestures, and Chrysleriana in particular, because it's it's kind of about this this character, this fictional character who's super bipolar, like Schumann himself. So the moods of the pieces swing wildly from like lyrical and contemplative to kind of stormy and crazy and very thorny and contrapuntal. So the face value, I think it, that's what people get from it is like, there's all this drama and all these arresting moments and all these really kind of crazy sounding things. So yeah, I, I feel like maybe my piece is not quite as, it doesn't vacillate quite as wildly as that. In fact, I'm still not actually sure that this isn't a problem with the piece, but I think a lot, there's a lot of um, lyrical and contemplative music in, in my piece. 
especially toward the end. It it does a lot of slow stuff. I I, I always have this nagging feeling when I'm writing slow music that it's it's going to be boring, which is ridiculous actually when you think about it. Because I think it's actually very hard to write fast music that's interesting. I don't think that's ridiculous. I think slow music is judged in a certain way and listen and and I think people automatically listen to it more carefully. Mm-hmm. They can pick out bad details, I think, in slow in slow music. That's what I always feel when I'm writing something yeah. like that. I'm like, yeah. oh they're gonna something just flies by and it's part of a bigger thing. I just don't feel like the, the person listening is gonna is going to be necessarily judging it in the same way if they have to listen to it for five seconds. That's true. That's true. And uh I think my kind of default mode of working is slow it's slow you automatically are uh, gravitate towards slower music i do yeah i gravitate towards slow music that ends quietly i don't remember the last time i wrote a piece that ended loudly actually no i i know one piece that i one piece i have ends loudly it takes a short time to be a loud <laughs> composer <laughs> <laughs> So explain to me again. So, what do you think the fault was of this piece, or like because it's too slow, think, or do you think it, it could have been a, more varied, or no? I don't think it necessarily has to be so varied. I mean, I think there there's a lot of variation in it, but um, I was worried that there is a long stretch of slow music toward the second half of the piece. It feels like a lot of slow music in a row, which, like now that I say it, it doesn't necessarily sound like a bad thing. But I just wonder if it's maybe too much, too slow for too long. Or something. Do you revise stuff at all? Why don't you revise Sometimes. it? Sometimes. I don't even know because I, I don't even know how I would change it. And I, I don't actually feel super strongly that it needs to be changed. Occasionally, there I, I do have pieces that I feel very strongly don't work in their current state. One is this this violin viola concerto that I wrote a couple of years ago that... I definitely like needs some serious reconsideration and like I need to uh, go back and, and like do a lot of work on that. At what, do you, what do you need but, to change about it? Is it always a technical problem or have you also had like an aesthetic problem with what you're doing? I think the aesthetic problems can usually be solved by a technical fix. I think the hardest thing is usually just getting the form right or the proportions of the form knowing for how long to do each thing and you kind of need to hear it like it's very difficult to know like exactly how you're going to feel about durations when you're just sort of pounding it out on the piano you're pounding it out on the piano and also you're kind of mapping a form in your head right and the thing is at least for me when i'm mapping a form in my head i visualize it like okay it has certain symmetries here this part is going to be longer this part is going to be shorter but then when i hear it it doesn't matter how i visualized it It, it's whether or not i'm getting bored right it doesn't matter if it's symmetrical (laughs) exactly i'm bored no actually (laughs) that's uh i mean that's something that i really like about the way david lang writes is like he'll talk about like setting up a process and all his pieces are governed by these very strict sets of rules that he sets up but then like if the set of rules comes up with something that he doesn't think sounds good, then he'll change the rules, which I think is kind of like a, a healthy way of writing music. It's like if if your form doesn't 
feel right, then, you know, change the form. You don't have to feel yeah, like yeah, you got to stick yeah, to it. But. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like, okay, I have this idea and, you know, this is the game that I'm playing. And then they look at the game being played out and aesthetically it's something that's very not pleasing to them. But it's the game that they made, so that's what it is. Yeah. Whereas, where Sometimes maybe, you have maybe, to, yeah, you have I, to get over your yeah. own stubbornness. Yeah, and then you're just like, you know what? I'm just gonna. It, it doesn't matter. I'm not making this for people to analyze 50 years from now. Can no, you, you can't think about it that way. I mean, I think a lot of people do, though. I think I did. It's but, but like musicologists are always gonna like if they want to analyze something, they'll fucking do it. Yeah, they'll and find they'll it, just. Yeah. They'll invent their own way of analyzing it to make it make beautiful sense in their own world. But like it <laughs> for for us, like that is so far from reality that it's just it's just like it's so pointless to even think about it. I you think know? it should be. I don't think it always you said this that's so far from reality, but I think even now it's a big part of people's reality. Well, I mean, obviously in school, like you you go through school studying various pieces and taking classes where you uh you do this sort of uh heavy analysis yeah. um but i think for a certain kind of mind but people confuse that with yeah, composing yeah. i mean they're um, like oh this is how you make stuff it's like yeah this is yeah how you and do it. it's it's actually a an especially common thing for people who aren't composers uh, an especially common misconception is like oh you're a composer so you must be like really good at music theory right <laughs> well i was made to <laughs> doesn't mean it's useful well chris is back so <laughs> all right well thanks timo thanks for doing this you bet right. me too